Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. You know, Noah just mentioned uh, that we had Sean Elliott on the podcast. And of course, we asked him about you. And uh, Coach, I want you to listen to this and hear what, what he had to say. Still to this day, he's the most intense basketball player I've ever uh, been on a team with. And he, he's so intense that, uh, you know, like when I see him coaching, I, I think it takes um, people that are mentally tough uh, to play for Avery Johnson. If you're mentally weak or you're mentally soft, uh, you can't be around Avery. So, Coach, what do you think about, uh, about what, what your old teammate has to say about you? Well, I have a lot of respect for Sean. Love him. Uh, he's a really good friend. And uh, we've been through a lot together. Um, and, you know, that's the type of player I was. And I, I didn't have all of the, the athletic gifts as the, the other guys on the team. I wasn't – I couldn't jump and touch the rim. And, uh, you know, I was had marginal speed. But my strength was leadership and toughness and being a coach on the floor and – so I wasn't a three-point shooter, so I had to make up for it in a lot of different ways. And I think that's where the nickname, the Little General, came from. But, you know, and it rubbed guys the wrong way sometimes. But ultimately, we have such a great amount of respect for each other. Uh, and as we've gotten older, we, we really appreciate all of the things that we went through. And guys had different personalities, and my personality was just one that I was just not going to back down from anybody or any situation. And, uh, you know, and, and moving forward as a coach, you know, you learn that, yes, you can operate with that type of intensity sometimes. You can't do it all the time because players are tuning you out. But that, that, that was, I think that was an accurate description of me um, as a player. You like that nickname, Little General? I did at that time. Um, I don't like it as much now because I'm 54, <laughs> but, uh, but at that time, I think it was an appropriate nickname to go with the Admiral. The, the Admiral needed a little general, and, and I was in the right place at the right time to team up um, with a team that, that was arguably, you know, one of the best defensive teams in NBA history. So, so how, do you, how do you react when Spurs fans will inevitably call you that? Oh, I love it. I was I was on an airplane flying from uh, New York back to my home in Dallas, and the plane was connecting through Dallas and dropping us off. And 
and uh, you know, headed to San Antonio, and I would say they probably had about 20 Spurs fans on the plane, and they were calling me the little general and shouting, "Go Spurs, go!" and and, uh, and it makes you feel good because they still remember your contributions, not only on the court, but, uh, you know, in the community. And, and then there was a whole other side uh, of the airplane that had more Mavericks fans. <laughs> and they remember me when I played, you know, for a season with the Mavericks, but mainly coached them to their first NBA finals. And, and they were shouting Mavs and, uh, you know, Coach Avery. So they know me more as Coach Avery. And the Spurs fans know me more as a little general. <laughs> all right, so speaking of your coaches, Greg Popovich, we all hear about the legendary dinners, how great they are. I, I want I want to hear from you about a dinner that you left and, and thought to yourself, that that just that just wasn't that good of a meal. Wow, never. <laughs> really? Never? You never, never. You, ne- you never once thought Pop just you know he missed he missed on that one. Oh, never. Every <laughs> one of our meals, he's batting a thousand. That's, and I, that's, a impossible. Thousand. that's impossible. No, it is. It's not impossible. We always have phenomenal meals. I will, I will tell you one of my memorable ones is when I was playing for Golden State at the end of my career. I'm in my 16th year. And uh, Eric Musselman, who's now the head coach at the University of Arkansas, was my coach. And I didn't play that much. It was the end of my career. Basically, my salary was thrown in just to make this trade work uh, with, with the Mavericks, but uh, I don't know, it's somewhere in the middle of the season and we're playing the Spurs and, you know, we're down by 15 points or whatever and Musselman puts me in the game and I think I, I run off about five in a row left-handed runners off of a middle pick and roll and, and I'll never forget after the game, Popovich summons a, a ball boy to the Golden State Warriors locker room, and he hands me a note, and he tells me to meet him at a restaurant in San Diego. And and I met him at the restaurant in San Diego, and, boy, we didn't leave out this restaurant until about 2.30 in the morning. And we had (laughs) such a memorable time going back down memorable lane of all the games we were in with the Spurs. And and, uh, it it, it just was a nice way to end my career, Mm -hmm. having dinner with my mentor, uh, in San Francisco when I was playing for another team. <laughs> when when you're coaching, what types of popisms uh, come out of your mouth? Wow. I, I would say uh, the number one thing is, you know, just move the ball. Don't hold it. You know, Pop, they have, they have this thing in their system called .5, where you got .5 seconds to dribble it, pass it, or shoot it. Just don't hold it. And uh, we talk – a lot about that with, with my teams of, you know, point, point five, just move the ball or, you know, discipline on defense, get in the stance, get in the right position, but make sure you're in the stance, um, you know, make the extra pass, um, you know, sacrifice your body for the team. So those are some of the things that, that are consistent with Spurs philosophy. I've had some pretty good guys sit next to me that, uh, you know, done pretty well. A lot of people say they have a tree. I have a forest. So <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy about that. Your, your coaching forest is, is certainly remarkable. Uh, what, what was uh, Popovich and, and RC Buford like in, in those, uh, in those early days? 
RC was just getting ready to, you know, he's still a college student, so he was in his, he was in a growth process, um, just growing up. But a, a, a really good guy, Pop. Pop just has unbelievable values. He's bright as hell. He has a great background. He respects the game. He's not afraid of coach guys. Um, he's not looking to be a friend. He's looking to make you better. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to be around those guys, you're going to benefit. But he uh, he had an unbelievable background. You know, when you play for Bob Spear and Hank Egan, uh, those were two pretty incredible coaches. And I think they influenced Pop in a in a lot of positive ways. You you mentioned that you don't have you know many regrets with players. Do you have and maybe this situation is is one of them to a certain extent, do you have any regrets leaving any of the jobs? Oh, all of them. Oh. You know, I mean there wasn't one job when I, you know, I, I, we don't have enough time. I had a great reason to leave in every one I thought. Um, a couple I was told I had to leave. Um, but um, I, I can't imagine any, anybody who's had the opportunities I've had to, to regret what, what happened. The, the situations I was given not everybody yet uh and you gotta feel so fortunate um that i was allowed to do that um but if i sit down and try to explain why i left people you know have their own opinion and uh i've read stories i left ucla because i put them on probation that was the furthest thing from the truth um you know, I left Kansas. One of the main reasons I got in trouble at Kansas is its family was having trouble, and I, I self-reported flying somebody home, um, which now is is legal. And there are a lot of things that have come out that aren't exactly really true. But to be honest, um, when you coach in the NBA and when you get to coach in college and you get to play at the highest level. Um, you just got to be thankful for that and hope that you did the best you could with the people you were working with. And when you look at um, some of the people that I've had the opportunity that have changed my life in a positive way and you see how their careers have turned out, it's you feel pretty, pretty important. I'm pretty fortunate, and that that's the way I look at it. Well, I want to stay on that for a moment, but but something from Kansas, this ritual that I heard about on the bench with your coaches, the part of the forest that you've grown, called the power, when your coaches would squeeze <laughs> their left testicle. Yeah, that came from Coach McGuire. Um, yeah, but you can't use it all the time. But there was <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, sometimes I used it, and it it, uh, it really worked. I remember one time my uh, my first year at UCLA when I was setting every kind of record possible, 
Uh, it was the first time we ever lost to SC at home. It's the first time UCLA ever lost an opening game in Poly. It was the first time, you know, we didn't win the conference championship in I don't know how many years. It was the first time we lost two games in a row. I can go on and on. But that team ended up losing in the final game um, to Louisville. But I remember we were playing Ohio State when they probably had the best college team I'd ever seen. They had Clark Kellogg and Kelvin Ramsey and Herb Williams. Oh, they they were just incredible. Um, and that was a key possession. And I told the kids the power. Well, the, there was no shot clock. And the, the possession went on for an hour, it seemed like. And guys were turning blue on the bench. Uh, but we we eventually, uh, I had to jump up and call a timeout. And we ended up, before the timeout was being acknowledge we made a three-point play a guy got fouled and Darren Day made a layup got fouled and made a three-point play and ended up winning the game against the team that I thought was the best college team I'd ever seen play wait did you did you ever try that in the NBA oh yeah 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 uh, that was that worth getting coaches and players to grab their left testicle well I didn't always ask players because they might have had a rebellion but my, my <laughs> coaches were so so loyal they'd do anything well so let's stay with coaching did you always feel that you had the advantage with pat riley on the sideline well i, I thought yeah I, I think we all felt that we, we had the better coach but you know that's not to take any way anything away from casey because casey was a great coach as well uh we felt we also were just more talented we had more speed uh, we were a more talented basketball team, but you know I, I give Boston a lot of credit. Those, those guys were so good. You know I wouldn't have said this ten years ago, you know, but now they 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 were so good. You know, just looking back at the way they played the game, how good Larry Bird. You know, Larry Bird is one of the greatest players I've ever seen. Uh, uh, they have one of the greatest front lines ever. There's, there's been so much time that has passed, and we've kind of all moved forward and patched patched all the uh, the negativity that we had against each other away. And it, I think now it's more of just respect on how we played the game and on how they played the game. Because I really believe in the 80s, Magic and Larry Bird brought the NBA to where it is today. You know, they, they really, you know, uh, put eyes on the NBA. And obviously you got to give David Stern, the commissioner, uh, you know, some credit for that as well. But without Magic and Larry, when they came in at the right time, uh, they really put the NBA back on the map. All right, so you guys could have had the three-peat in 89. And you were 11-0 yeah. going into the finals. Yeah. And then you hurt your hamstring. If you had played in that finals, yeah. you guys beat the Pistons? Well, I got to say, I, I got to believe we would have. You know, we were on a roll at that particular time. We were playing great. Um, you know, I hurt my hamstring, and then Magic hurt his hamstring in game one, and that basically, you know, pretty much sealed our fate. But at, the, at that particular time, we were playing just great basketball. We were on a roll. Um, you know, I know myself personally, I was probably playing the best I've ever played. Uh, you know, Magic was playing great. We, we were just rolling on all cylinders. So I, I truly believe, and, and again, no disrespect to Detroit because Isaiah and Joe Dumars and those guys were great. You know, I had a great basketball team. 
but I thought if we would have been healthy, we'd win that series. What, what if what if you were healthy, but Magic had still gotten hurt? Oh, we're in trouble. Okay. All right. <laughs> we're, we're in trouble. No, I mean, Magic, you know, he was – you know, he was our leader, our captain. I mean, he, he just he did so many things for our team. He made so many guys better. Uh, no, so, if, I mean, missing him, no, we, we, we still wouldn't have had a chance. Byron, the, the development of Magic and, and uh, how history perceives players as we look back upon them, yeah, how much do you recall it, it motivated him, him having those, early, those struggles early on in his career, and then when you guys had linked up, it seems like things were in full stride. How, how much of that do you recall about, about him, you know, being a guy that was considered at that time, had, had made some mistakes in the finals and, um, mm-hmm. you know, really meant a lot to, to Pat Riley that he could overcome that? Well, I think all great players, you know, they, they come to a point in time in their, in their career where they have some, uh, some hiccups, you know, they fall on their face, their face, they, 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 uh, they fail. And, you know, you can go one or two ways and the great ones, you know, they rise above it and magic's no different. You know, you look at that, that uh, year he missed the free throws. I mean, you know, he blamed that series on himself, took it upon himself to start working out earlier to get ready for the next year. It, it just, it's just a different drive in those guys when they don't have success. It just drives them even more. Um, and, and Magic's no different. Uh, he came into training camp like it was midseason form as far as his conditioning and the way he was playing. So uh, I think it made his – it elevated his career to a different level. I think he was still going to be, you know, one of the greatest of all times. But when you have failure in your life, uh, especially in the thing that you do the best, which is basketball for him, uh, it just it just made him focus that much more. It made him want to be more successful, and that's what he was able to do. So then how's he handling this failure as uh, as an executive? As an executive, I think it's the same. I, you know, I think, you know, the, the only difference with that is you have to have other people around you that can help you be successful. And the same thing in basketball. But, you know, from an individual standpoint, you know, some of the things that you can overcome – uh, you can do it on an individual level, but you still need a team. But as an executive, it's not much different, you know, to be, to be honest with you. If, you. if you're an executive in a business or if you're running a business, you still need your teammates, so to speak, you know, your employees around you to make you better. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it's all going to come – it's all going to fall on you. So you got to make sure that you're prepared. I think Magic's the same way in business. He, he, he kind of approaches it the same way he did – on the basketball court. I think that's why he's been so successful as a business person. So what about his Twitter feed? Can, can he get some other people around him to write these tweets? It's like, uh, it's like reading <laughs> a, a story from the Associated Press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably could, but he probably I mean, it's, won't. It's Magic Johnson. I don't, it's, I don't need Magic Johnson to tell me that Kawhi Leonard went for 25 and it was a great win for the Raptors. Give me something that only Magic er- Johnson can tell me. Right, right. No, I, I understand you, and, I, and, I, and you're right. You're absolutely right. You know, and right now he's kind of being politically correct with the with the tweets and all that. But you know, he, he, I guess I guess he's got to watch that. You know, I, I don't I don't do a lot a lot of tweeting and all that social media stuff. You know, I, every now and then when I do go on, uh, you know, I, you you still have to watch what you say, of course, uh, because again, now you got fans that are, are are just people in general that can say anything and hide behind a a, a you know 
a blank face or they don't mm-hmm. have to put their name on it. So, you know, you got a lot of brave people in the world today on social media. They can say whatever they want. But we can't do that. You know, magic can't do that. I can't do that. I can't just say how I really truly feel about somebody saying some of the things that they say uh, about me, and I'm sure he can't do the same thing. You know, so at times you just got to, you know, be be uh, politically correct and just say the right things. Uh, because, again, once you say the wrong things, it, it's going to be blown up even more so on social media and in, and in uh, regular news as well. So, you know, that, that's, just, that's just a part of it. That was dope. <laughs> I mean, I, I knew nothing about basketball when I went to college. And so my foundation of basketball was Dean Smith. And the one thing I loved about Coach is he was always innovative. He always was trying to find what is going to be the next thing that's going to make the game better. And, you know, from four corners to run and jump defense to changing multiple defenses. Uh, and then at the end, he, he you know, he, he ran the secondary break probably as good as anybody in basketball. And that secondary break is still being played in the pro game today. Uh, I love I love this mentality of always trying to find find out where the game is going before it gets there. Uh, so, yeah, I got that from him. But I think you get it from the NBA. You know, I mean, the whole thing about the NBA that no one wants to admit is, you know, there, there's not a bad coach in the NBA. There's 10 to 15 coaches in the NBA that lose, and they're losing coaches. But, I mean, every coaching staff in the NBA has high, high basketball IQ, high quality of, of ability to coach. Unfortunately, 15, when you play games, 15 teams got to lose. And that's just the na- nature of the NBA right now. You bring up a great point about the NBA coaches, but I'm still so fascinated with with some of the Dean Smith stuff uh, because we have so much respect for him and and, and all that he accomplished. When all the Carolina guys are getting together and and sharing old stories, what's what's your favorite Dean Smith story that you like to tell? Well, philosophical, the thing that I like to tell is the fraternity of Carolina basketball is, I think, the closest knit, tight, love fest fraternity of basketball in the world, and the blessing is that I'm a part of that. Uh, and and the truth of the matter is, Coach Smith loved the game, but I think he loved the student athlete more. He wanted his players to get it to get their degree. You know, he never thought the game of basketball was going to be where you could become rich. I mean, he recruited you to get your degree. And I don't know what the number is. It's like 95% of all players under Dean Smith graduated. And that's a pretty amazing number. So I think that philosophically, that's the one good story. The Sonics leaving Seattle. I, as I've, I've read quotes that you've had about, about the Sonics leaving the city and, and what it's meant. Uh, and, and you've said multiple times the word I, I keep seeing is is depression about it. How how much has it really hurt you that that Seattle doesn't have a pro basketball team right now? Well, my daughter still lives in Olympia, Washington, and uh, I have two great grandkids, and I'm I'm up there probably three or four times a year. And I was in I was in Olympia when it was announced that Seattle was going to Olympia, Oklahoma City. 
And I had to, I was so emotional, starting to cry. I was driving a car at the time. I had to pull over and just cry a little bit. Because I just, I just didn't think, it's just not right. Um, you know, and and life isn't about, you know, being, you know, life being right or wrong. I mean, we all, we all have moments where we think we got, we got the wrong side of the, the, you know, the situation, but even today, it's depressing for me. Uh, you know, there have been a lot of things, you know, talked about Seattle gate and why it happened. And, uh, there's a lot of times I, I do, I have a lot of conversations about, you know, what happened and why it happened. And, um, and then, you know, even today, you know, I, I, I keep hearing that Seattle, why doesn't Seattle have an expansion team? And I hear that, you know, the NBA would probably favor maybe even going to Mexico City or, or some maybe overseas before Seattle. Seattle deserves a team. I know they're going to build a new building uh, there, and hopefully that will maybe get, get the, the NBA a little more positively motivated towards uh, bringing the team back to Seattle. What is the best piece of trash talk? And then you can curse. Best piece of trash talk you ever heard from Larry Bird on the court? I'm going to have to say this to you. <laughs> I've been a friend of Larry's for a long time. And I have a number of friends, high-profile friends. Part of the reason we're still friends, I don't tell those kind of stories. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so you let's – You want to get Charles Barkley. He tells those kind of stories. I don't, I don't do that. All right, all right so let's go, with, let's go with trash talk that's, that another player tried to throw back at Larry Bird. You know, I don't remember anybody being – the only one that would try to say something is, um, unfortunately, he got himself in a jam. Is used to be the rifleman Chuck Person. But, you know, he, he, didn't, he didn't say too much to Larry. He, he just – every time Larry would make a basket, he'd, he'd come back and kind of nod his head. Chuck was, was not as verbal as he was physical with his uh, trash talking. Mm-hmm. But, but Larry, Larry – the thing about Larry, even today, it's, it's his first night. Larry never flinches. Never. He is the same way 24-7, and you can count on him to be that way. And he never flinched, but he lit Chuck Persons behind up. And matter of fact, he told the coach, he did tell one of the coaches as he's lighting him up for like 24 and a 20 plus and a half, hey, you need to take him off of me because there's no chance he can guard me. He told the coach that. <laughs> and, and I don't mean – he told Chuck Persons' coach, and I don't remember – it wasn't. It might have been Larry Brown or one of those guys. He told him that during the course of playing. It was It was – no. I don't remember who the coach was, but he told him. And, I'm about, and for me, that's kind of bold to go tell the coach, that, listen, he can't guard me. You need to get him out of here. I said, oh, geez. So anyway, that's, that's as close as I get on Larry Bird. I got to ask you then about, about a guy that, that you didn't have, and, and that's Lamar Odom. Is, is, yeah. that the, is that the last home loss you had? It is. Okay, so, so, how, many, so how many in a row is that? It's over 350 straight home wins. Yeah. Okay. The and, Tokyo and lost can... a home game in nineteen. They lost in December of nineteen eighty-two. To uh, it's a school is closed now. Baltimore Cardinal Gibbons. They were like, what I was told, they were like number four in USA Day. Came down here. They beat Tokyo by like one in a couple overtime. That was in eighty-two. So then it was fifteen straight years till the next loss, which would have been ninety-seven, and then lost. 20, 22 years later, we still haven't lost. So 
That's a great story, and I gave it if you want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So right, and so start with and and you've told me, you've told me some of this story before, and 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 part of it had to do with the, like the night before the game before when you thought yeah. Lamar was going to play. So we play. We got him scheduled for Monday night. He goes to Redemptors Christian, which is upstate New York, Troy, New York, and uh, I think it's a boarding school, private school. Anyway, they set up a game with us and somebody else. They were playing a team in Tennessee on supposed to play them on Tuesday. So they had a two game road trip down here. And um so on Monday I'm trying to get you know, it's nineteen ninety seven, still way back and I'm trying to get a scouting report on them coming in here because I know they got him and then they're gonna be pretty good. So uh, I'm calling around anyway. Well I called Tom Kinchowski. And you mm-hmm. know, Tom Tom knows everything about anybody on the East Coast, especially from New York. So I called Tom and I'm talking to Tom about uh, Lamar and the team and all. And uh, anyway, you know, he tells me what he knows. We play him Monday night. Lamar is awful. He does play in the game, but he is terrible. I mean, he does not. He's. I wish I'd pull a book out. He did not score the first three quarters. He was scoreless. Scoreless going into the fourth quarter, and he scored nine points. So after the game, Tom said, "You know, call me after the game. Let me know how the game went." So I called Tom, and I'm telling Tom about the game, and I. Rick Pitino was here that night recruiting Lamar Odom. Passed me in the hall at Oak Hill and said he wasn't recruiting any of my players that year. He said, I'm out of here. I'm not recruiting this guy. I mean, he was – he looked like he didn't care. I mean, that's how he played. So uh, I tell Tom, I said, he was terrible. And he goes, well, who was the best player? And I said, Raheem Johnson. He goes, Raheem Johnson? He goes, he's not on the roster. I go, yeah, he is. He goes, no, he's not. I was at the main central invitational this weekend. He was the MVP for main central. I go <laughs> – I'm telling you, he played Sunday night in Oak Hill. He had 29 points. And he, he said, are you sure it's the same guy? And I spelled his name. He said, what's he look like? And I told him, I said, he's like six, seven, six, eight, big body, like 240. He goes, left hand. He goes, that's him. He goes, well, he, goes he played Saturday night for Main Central. Well, I didn't know because, you know, this is in the old days. That guy must have. So apparently, here's the story. Tom goes, well, I'll tell you why Lamar didn't play well. Lamar didn't want to go to Main Central this year because Raheem was there and he didn't want to play with him. So when that kid showed up, I guess he left Redemptor's Christian Saturday night after that, I mean, uh, Main Central after that game Saturday night. I think he got in some trouble. They take him over at uh, Redemptor's Christian the next day and he gets in the van and rides down with the team. He's never been to a practice. Well, Lamar <laughs> didn't want to play with him, obviously, because he didn't want to play with him there. So he didn't want to play with him Monday night. So we ended up winning the game by like 30 points. Tuesday night, they go to Tennessee, and the game gets canceled. The coach calls me and says, Coach, we came all the way down here for one game. Can we play you on the way back? And I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll play you on the way back. I mean, we just beat you by 30. I didn't say this to myself. So mm-hmm. they show up Tuesday night. Well, they come in about 1 o'clock. They want to have a shoot around. They want to have a study hall. Lamar sticks his head in my office door, and I'd known him uh, from the summer before, and he says, Coach, he said, it ain't going to be like Monday night. I said, oh, if not, you gonna, I said, you going to play tonight? And he goes, I'm playing tonight. I said, okay. So I didn't think much of it. And he played. He had 39 points, and we lost by two. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and that's what happened. But the good part of that story wait, is wait. Avery, who played at Duke. You probably remember Will. Sure. Yeah, sure. We're down two, uh, eight seconds to go. We got a baseline out. We got to go length of the court. So it's a timeout. It's our last timeout. And I look at the officials, and, you know, I mean, I'm – pretty friendly with our guys around here. I mean, the head official standing, I said, we're going to take you to the basket. You need to make a call. And the main official, he goes, coach, we will call a foul. I said, all right. So I go in the huddle. (laughs) 
I go in the huddle. I tell Will, I go, Will, get it to the basket. We ran a little play to get him so he'd catch it on the run up the court, make sure he got there. I said, get it to the rim, go strong, you're going to get a call. You understand me? He goes, I got you, coach. So he takes it, and he's an All-American. Donald's All-American. He's going to do. He drives it full court. He gets about where the old – back then it was a dotted line. He gets it to the dotted line, so he's like six feet. He kicks it to the corner to a guy. We're down two for a wide-open three. And I'm like, what are you doing? The guy catches it about a second. I could tell in his eyes he did not want the ball. Uh, he did not want to take the last shot. He takes yeah. it, misses it. So when I get to the dressing room after the game, I'm like, Will, do you not understand what I told you in the huddle? I said, he goes, well, there wasn't anybody around me. I said, exactly. I said, it didn't matter. They're going to blow the whistle. They're going to call a foul. You're going to get an air one. Maybe we might win the game straight up. We might not even have to go to overtime. Lay <laughs> uh, the ball in. And they're going to call a foul. He goes, I didn't quite understand that. I said, no, I, you don't understand. Bud's ref every game in here for 18 straight years. We're going to get a call. <laughs> <laughs> said, Come on, man. You didn't understand your coach. Well, I said, maybe I didn't explain myself. I was so mad. <laughs> did, did Raheem Johnson play that night? Oh, yeah. But he wasn't the man. Yeah. Lamar was, you know. Yeah. But they played together. I guess they had a. They must have had a little powwow, the two of them. Uh-huh. They both got them together and said, look, this is not good. And because uh, they, they, and Raheem was going to USC, Southern Cal. I mean, he was a big-time player. It wasn't – so they had Lamar. They had him. They had – I don't remember the other guys, but, I mean, their whole first five was Division One. But that's the only game we lost. It wasn't even on the schedule till I re, you know, till I added it. So uh, it's my fault. If I hadn't done it, we'd, it'd be uh, 30 – seven-year win streak <laughs> it's like the only thing in your career that's your fault right is that is that that'd be great to retire one day and say you never lost one home game wouldn't it now i gotta say i lost the home game <laughs> yeah but you got a great you got you got a great story for the hall of fame speech that's for sure that but is it sounds true. great when you say you lost one it sounds great the catch and shoot podcast is a presentation of pure hoops media